I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm at Pre-America Scopal on the show, and today is Thursday. Hey, happy Thanksgiving to you all. And we're going to bring on our usual Thursday show, a guest, and that's Carter Baines, senior writer, editor at Beaver Blitz, uh, our affiliate for the Oregon State Beavers within the 24-7 Sports Network. Carter, A, thanks, happy Thanksgiving. B, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun to talk meaningful football uh, at Oregon State late in the season like this, and especially going into a matchup like this where you've got two ranked teams in the state of Oregon uh, Thanksgiving weekend. It's It's been it's been fun to, to cover this thing, and it's it's going to be a, a fun matchup at Reeser on Saturday that has a lot of meaning for both teams, I think, for the first time in probably about a decade. Yeah, it's it's certainly a big game. Uh, it's two good teams, like you said. And for Oregon State, you know they go into the final week of the regular season eight and three. They've got two cracks at getting win number nine for the first time since 2012. And if they win out, beating Oregon and then winning the bowl game, you know that would be their first ten win season since 2006. Um, this feels like. A special season for Oregon State? Is that the perspective that those in Corvallis, those around the program are feeling as well? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, you mentioned the 10 win season thing. Well, that's only happened twice in program history. And for it to still be on the table with two games left, I think that just speaks to how uniquely great this season has been at Oregon State. And as we go through this thing on a week by week basis, you know, the wins kind of pile up and we don't necessarily take a look back at um, what they've done as, as the whole season progresses. But, you know, I said on, on our podcast at, at Beaver Blitz last week, I have a feeling we're going to look back at this season when we do like a season recap thing in December or January. And we're going to say, wow, that was one of the all time great seasons in Corvallis. And it's, I mean, again, it's, it's just been kind of fun to cover it as it progresses because it does feel like this team is getting better and better on a weekly basis and it has gotten better and better every year under Jonathan Smith. And so for it to kind of culminate this year with what could again, potentially be the third 10 win season in program history. Um, you know, it's, it's impressive at, at the very least. And, and I, I think something that will go down in, in the history books as one of Oregon state's better seasons. And, just a, a testament again to the work that Jonathan Smith has done to get the Beavers back to this level in four and a half, five years. That was right where I was going, Carter. And uh, I, I guess I'm just curious on the progression to get here because getting to nine, maybe 10 wins in Corvallis, just as you said, we established doesn't happen very often. It takes, I think a really special team. It takes a really special coaching staff and it takes clearly the right leader and, um, Oregon State has had, 
I think kind of uh, a revolving doors of coaches that have, have had kind of up and down success, but it seems like Smith has basically just the progress has all been in one direction. Can, can you speak and kind of characterize why that has been the case, why it seems like the trajectory continues to go up rather than down or, or kind of petering off and kind of why what's made this year in particular possible? Absolutely. So I, I think to get the full picture here, you have to go back to what Jonathan Smith inherited uh, when he took the job in 2018. And, you know, it was a fractured locker room. It was a program that didn't have any momentum to speak of whatsoever. Um, and, and things were just pretty broken generally at, at, at Reeser Stadium and in that Valley Football Center. And over the course of a couple of years, you saw Jonathan Smith start to bring in his coaches and and his players. And they used the transfer portal really at its inception better than most, if if not all programs in the country. I mean, just bringing in that infusion of talent um, that Oregon State generally does not get via the the prep ranks. You know, Oregon State was going out and getting those four and five, those four and five star guys from the portal um, like it hasn't been able to uh, recruiting guys out of high school. And so you got that early infusion of talent. You got the coaching staff right. Um, and very quickly, the culture started to kind of build on that. And again, going back to this idea of the fractured locker room, I mean, guys were fighting on the sidelines in 2019, in year two. You know, it took a while for the culture to uh, to kind of take shape. But as guys have have had more and more years of experience in Jonathan Smith's system under their belt, we've seen this program become more and more player-led. Um, we've seen them become confident and you know, expect to win, which obviously didn't occur in the first couple of years. Um, and now it's at a point where, you know, this program's led by guys who have been here for six, seven years. I mean, Jaden Grant is about to play in his seventh game against Oregon uh, after coming in as a walk-on out of West Lynn. Uh, it's it's impressive to see some of those guys kind of ride it out uh, through the whole process. And I think that's partially why um, Oregon State is playing with so much confidence and, and has been able to win some of these games. It's because you know it's being led by guys who have seen it at its worst and have helped build it up from that point. And so, um, when it comes to building this program, I just I, I always come back to the culture and and what Jonathan Smith has been able to do as far as turning that element around. Um, big picture here for a second, Carter, because you talked about the culture and the importance of it. Um, OSU has its bowl game secured. Just now it's, hey, you're, you're playing for as good of a bowl game as you possibly can get. Um, this is the first time since 2012 and 13 that they've had back-to-back seasons with the bowl game. Just what's the culture like? What's the long-term prospectus maybe of Oregon State football? Obviously, enjoy the final push of this season, but is this sustainable? Is the expectation that this is going to be sustainable for years to come at Oregon State? Yeah, that's going to be the question moving forward. You know, this, I think a big reason why this team is having so much success is because there are so many fifth, sixth, seventh year guys on the roster. And obviously, you know, if you're in a system for that long, you're probably going to develop and improve as a player and, and as a leader. And so when Oregon State in the past has had its most successful seasons, oftentimes it's with a bunch of redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, um, you know, those kinds of guys who have who have just developed for years and years. So the question is, with all of these guys leaving next year, I mean, Oregon State's going to have a lengthy senior day uh, ceremony on Saturday. When all those guys leave, can you bring up that next group of guys and prevent a drop off? And and that's gonna, I mean, that's gonna be telling of of what Jonathan Smith has done as far as 
building a program for long-term success. Um, we'll see if, if the Beavers are going to be one of those programs where things kind of come in waves. You know, you build up a couple of years, you have a great season, and then you rebuild for a year or two. Um, I, I think in this era where Oregon State can go out and pick talent out of the transfer portal, it's easier to prevent some of those letdown years. Um, and considering that, that Smith and his staff have done a good job of using the transfer portal, um, I, I think you could see Oregon State kind of avoid some of those three, four, five win uh, downturn type seasons. But again, this is this will really be the first time that we've seen Smith go from high level success to okay, can he can can he sustain it, or will he take a step backward when his veterans are gone? Okay, I want to ask this question two different ways. One of which is from selfish motivations. Uh, Research Stadium, what are we expecting this weekend for fans? What are we expecting for media? Because I've heard the media accommodations are just different than you get just about anywhere around the country because of the renovations at Research. And to the first part, which is the part that matters for those listening, the second part just for me um, and Matt and a couple of us are going up. Like I imagine this is a game with a lot of anticipation in part because of the success this year, but also what's been building the last couple of years and not being able to be at that 2020 game, which was, you know, I imagine would have been a raucous environment given the outcome, but the extent of the celebration was basically cars driving by honking their horn because of, yeah. because of the lack of fans in the stands. So a lot there, but first off, like selfishly start with me. What, what, what am I in for in terms of the uh, media accommodations this weekend? Yeah, that's the part that I can speak to the most. So uh, I, they, we do. I'll, I'll say this: there are heaters in these temporary trailers that are set up, so you're not going to be cold. You don't have to like. This isn't like you're going up to Husky Stadium for a November game. They've got all those windows wide open, and you know you're frigid like I was a couple of weeks ago. Um, there are heaters right behind you, so you'll be good there. And actually, uh, they told us this week that they're going to give us hot chocolate and coffee this week, which is a huge step up from the bottles of water that we have. Um, you'll get a little, yes. you'll get a little, uh, $10 media or meal voucher that you can go use at the concession stand. So you can go buy, buy yourself a, a pretzel and some candy. Um, the one thing that, that actually from a media perspective has maybe been the most annoying, um, ha has been the fact that Oregon state brought in a, a full sound system this year. So even though there's no stands on the West side, they still have speakers there, but they're right above the press boxes. And so when they're playing music, you can feel the press box shake and it's like, it's pretty loud. Um, so that's the one thing that like, you know, you'll, you'll have to get used to as the game goes on. But other than that, I mean, as far as temporary setups go, I've been very impressed with um, actually how nice it is. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you remember the old research press box. It was old and, you know, basically sure falling do. apart. Um, in some ways, this setup is actually kind of nicer than that. So, you know, it has its shortcomings because they are just trailers set up on a concrete <laughs> right. slab, but um, all in all, the sight lines aren't great. I'll say that. Um, but with the new massive video board that they brought in this year, um, you can you can rely on that when when the sight lines are are a little bit rough. Um, but from okay, so from a, a fan perspective, I've actually been blown away by what the atmosphere has been like at, at Reeser this year. So Oregon State, of course, it's it's down to about twenty eight thousand, with that west side being. Um, just completely off limits due to construction. Um, and as a result, Oregon State has sold out every game. This game was sold out back in like July or August. Mm -hmm. um, and the people who show up are are loud and and raucous and rowdy and and particularly the students. You know, the students, uh, the student tickets, there were more people waiting in line than they actually had tickets for this game. Um, and, I, you know, I, I go back to the USC game. 
back at the end of September. Probably the loudest crowd I have heard at Reeser since I started covering this program five years ago. Um, yeah. And that's with a stadium at half capacity. Um, you know, the, the people who show up, they they don't hold back at all. And I, I, it's going to be, it will probably be pretty hostile this week, even, uh, even at reduced capacity. Um, we saw that come into play against the Trojans when Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams had to burn all three of their timeouts early on in the first half because they couldn't get the snap count right. They couldn't, you know, make their pre-snap adjustments because it was too loud. Um, and so, you know, even with a, a reduced capacity crowd, even with nobody behind that visiting sideline, it has it has been a pretty impressive home field advantage all year. All right, so we know Oregon's got injuries. You know, there's the Bo Nix ankle injury, um, the Ryan Walk. He also is dealing with a lower body injury. Alex Forsyth did not play um, in that wash into that in that Utah game, excuse me, last week, and his status is up in the air for the Oregon State game. What is the injury status at Oregon State? Are, are they healthy as you possibly can the last week of the season, which means there's guys dinged up, they're not playing 100%, or could or could Oregon State be without some of its key players? Yeah, it is a very lengthy injury list at, at Oregon State right now, and it hadn't been really throughout the season. I mean, you, you go back to, to Chance Nolan at quarterback uh, against Utah going down, Luke Musgrave at tight end and in game number two, but outside of that, uh, really, Oregon State had been pretty lucky as far as the injury bug goes. Two weeks ago, in, uh, two weeks ago against California, eight guys left the game Jeez. with injuries, and two more didn't even suit up. So, I mean, you're looking at like 15% of your scholarship guys injured uh, throughout the course of that week. Um, so, the injury bug has bit late for Oregon State, and and some of those guys will. Um, will probably miss this game. I, I don't expect everybody to be back. Jonathan Smith said that pretty much everybody's day to day. Um, so, you know, just going down the list of some guys who, who could be impactful there, Jack Coletto at kind of the, the utility guy, you know, play some wild pack, wildcat quarterbacks and fullback kick returner linebacker. Um, he did not play against Arizona state uh, and is questionable this week in the defensive backfield, Jaden Grant, Alex Austin, two of the best corners and and defensive backs in the in the conference this year um neither of them played last week anthony gould at wide receiver who is actually the nation's most prolific punt returner as well uh he missed last week questionable day to day a couple of offensive linemen as well so it, it's really impacting every position at oregon state and I, i'm curious how much of last week was all right you know sit out get healthy for this bigger game that we've got next week, you know, cause we should be able to go down to Arizona state and take care of business. Uh, even if you're not at full strength, curious how much of it was that and, and how much of it actually is, you know, these guys are pretty dinged up, but um, yeah, Oregon state, not playing at a hundred percent for sure. I think before we go to break, I just have a question about how some of these guys have, have filled in. Um, you mentioned chance Nolan's injury injury, but it's like Ben Colbranson has really just kind of steadily improved and, um, I think had a couple mistakes against Utah, a first major game action, had a couple interceptions. But since the stats are, are, are impressive for a team that, again, is r relatively low volume in terms of throwing the football, is at the most run-heavy, least pass-heavy offense in the conference by the numbers. Um, how has he kind of adapted his himself into this? And then I guess the other part is the emergence of Damian Martinez with uh, Deshaun Fenwick. I think that was an injury early on in the season, right? He's kind of in and out of the lineup. What's the story with him, I guess, as well? 
Yeah, so I'll start with the running backs. Fenwick has been kind of in and out of the lineup, but I think this was always going to be Damian Martinez's job by the middle of the season. Um, everything that I saw from him in, in camp in the spring and in the fall told me that, okay, this is one of those true freshman guys who can run away with this thing. Um, and as he you know, kind of continued to get more and more carries with Fenwick out earlier in the season, uh, he really took advantage. And, and now he's run for 100 plus and five straight and is looking to become the first Oregon State player to do it in six straight since Steven Jackson in 03. So uh, he's in pretty good company there and, and clearly has become one of the best running backs in this conference as a freshman. Um, depth at running back, again, it's a little bit limited right now due to injuries, but Oregon State does still have three, four, even sometimes five guys that it likes to rotate through there. Uh, going to the quarterback position with with Golbranson, you know, it was pretty rough in, in the beginning. I'm not going to lie. Throwing the two picks at Utah uh, did not look very good in his first couple of games as a starter, but week over week has time. You know, he's kind of seemed like he's settling in a little bit, getting more confident. It looks like the game's slowing down for him a lot. Um, and I think that kind of came to a head in this past game against Arizona State where, you know, he didn't always have what he wanted downfield, but he took off and ran it nine times, uh, picked up like 40 yards on the ground and, and ran in for an eight yard touchdown as well, which is something that really nobody knew was part of his game. Um, but I think a, a testament to to the game slowing down for him still, Oregon State's passing game is is just not what it had been uh, with Chance Nolan, and and it's not even remotely close to what it was doing last year. So the Beavers are kind of a one-dimensional team, and it's worked for them because they have a good offensive line and good running backs. Um, but against a team like Oregon, where some of that stuff's going to be taken away from you in the trenches, it's a game where Goldbranson has to step up. And, and frankly, I don't have the confidence to say that he will. Um, but I'm more confident in his potential to do it now than I was, say, three, four weeks ago. Let's take a quick break and we come back. We'll continue our conversation with Connor Baines of Beaver Blitz. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Uh, Carter Baines of Beaver Blitz on the show, getting you prepared for a game that doesn't have a name anymore. Unfortunately, we need one. We'll find one eventually, but it's going to take some time. Um, Oregon's secondary is not good. Um, I will say they're close to terrible. I don't know if Eric will go as far as saying they're terrible, but... Um, they're not good. 
And we've seen what good quarterbacks, good passing offenses can do when you throw on them. Uh, hence, two weeks ago against Washington. Last week against Utah, uh, they did not try really to stretch the field, go vertical on Oregon. Um, I think they threw the ball like almost 40-something times and only like 187 yards. It's not a good passing performance from Utah, which played into Oregon's strength defensively, which is against the run. Um, does Oregon State, you feel like, have that ability, that consistent ability to go over the top and to push the ball vertically down the field? Or is their strength up front running the football and similar to kind of what Utah tried to do against Oregon? Yeah, you know, the short answer is probably no, they don't have that ability to go over the top. Um, we've seen it it kind of flash a couple of times throughout the year. You know, Treshawn Harrison is a, a pretty good deep threat. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw that miracle catch he made against Stanford and, and ran it in for about 50 yards. Um, so, you know, that's a that's a Gold Branson to Harrison type of play that we have seen a few times. Um, Jack Coletto going over the top on a, a third or fourth down play to Anthony Gould. So like it's in it's in the playbook, but it just doesn't come to fruition very often. Um, now, again, like you said, this being one of the weaker secondaries Oregon State has faced, maybe Gould Branson can can kind of unlock some things in the passing game that um, he hasn't been able to in his first six starts. But you know, I, I wouldn't go into this game banking on it if if you're Brian Lindgren trying to dial up a game plan. Um, most of it does come from that running game, and, and Oregon State is kind of one of those 65-35 run-pass type teams um, that's going to rely on running it on first, second, and third downs, getting into third and shorts where it can go to Jack Coletto, you know, that kind of team. Um, so I, it, it's that's probably the matchup I'm watching the most, actually, is can Oregon State move the ball against Oregon? Because, again, this is the kind of defense that, that you would expect Goldbranson to have one of his better games against. Let's talk about Oregon State's defense. We focus a lot on the offense. That's kind of the natural instinct probably. But this is an Oregon State defense that Oregon coaches and, and players have really raved about from like a schematic perspective of kind of some of the exotic looks and, and ways that they've out-schemed opposing offenses. And, and the numbers back that up if you go look at the figures of what they've done. And obviously, especially over the last, I think, five games, um, oppo opposing offenses – averaging about what 12 points per game I think is, is what it comes out to and um, and, and obviously a lot of success in terms of winning in that kind of an atmosphere what what is it about this team defensively that stands out I know there's a lot of veterans a lot of I think guys returning from last year but what's kind of paved the way for for them to be so successful well it starts with Trent Bray at defensive coordinator for sure uh, you know Oregon State made that change from Tib from Tim Tibisar to Trent Bray in the kind of that final third of, of last season. And really ever since Bray took over, um, we've seen a more aggressive unit, one that wants to, to kind of set the tone in the trenches. Uh, Tibisar's scheme was more of kind of like a read and react type thing. And, and frankly, the players just didn't, <laughs> didn't like it. Um, they have been very vocal about how they like to just be able to go out there and play. Um, you know, Bray, Bray kind of just unleashes them a little bit. And so we've seen that in the front seven in run defense, for sure. Oregon State has, I think, improved in run defense more than just about any any team in the country, uh, getting up into the, the top 20 in rushing yards allowed per game. Go back two weeks ago against California, Golden Bears only got nine yards in the ground against Oregon State, which was, that would be unthinkable if, if Tim Tibisar was still the defensive coordinator. So a lot of it is schematic. 
Um, we haven't seen that necessarily translate to the pass rush. I think that still remains one of Oregon State's biggest weaknesses. Uh, the Beavers, they've gotten some pressure on quarterbacks, but they just cannot get home. The sack numbers are, are not even remotely there for this team, and, and that's kind of held them back a bit defensively. Um, but I think the biggest strength is in the defensive backfield where you've got four all-conference players a year ago coming back, um, a, a junior college guy in Ryan Cooper Jr. who came in immediately and was a starter and, and now has three picks and uh, is, is close to the Pac-12 lead and passes defended. Um, so there's five guys there where, you know, if, if a guy like Bo Nix is looking downfield and he sees his number one target covered, well, he has to go to number two who's being defended by one of the best corners in the conference or you know if he's if he's trying to go over the top and and pick on some safeties he's got two all-conference safeties back there too so that's where we've seen the 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 passing numbers for opposing teams um just really it, it hasn't been much of a factor for for opponents oregon state is one of the best in the country um in terms of interceptions and pass breakups so th that's the strength of this team for sure in, in the back end, but the improvements that it's made in run defense as well um, ha has made it a pretty well-rounded unit, which uh, again at Oregon State is is something that the Beavers have not had in, in a very long time. I think going into this game, you know, there's some concerns for Oregon. There's some fears. Hey, like what does the offense do with a hobbled Bo Nix? It was very clear against Utah last week that, they were a little one-dimensional. They couldn't run the football really effectively. Um, defensively, you know, I mentioned it before, the passing attack. And, you know, every game, doesn't matter who the opponent is, it's, oh, boy, what's the defense going to do against the pass this week? Um, what is that item for Oregon State or items that they just go in thinking automatically, like, boy, if, if this scares us, this this is going to be a scary matchup. I, I think it's going up against mobile quarterbacks. Um, and again, I you know, maybe they catch a break this week with Bo Nix not being at 100%. Maybe he can't beat them with his legs. Um, but he's if he's even close to 100%, I think that's going to create a ton of problems for the Beavers. Uh, just like I said, with that pass rush not really being very effective for Oregon State this year, it's, you know, they can get into the pocket, but if they force the quarterback out, they haven't really done a great job at stopping him from throwing on the run or, or picking up a handful of yards uh, with his legs. We saw it against Caleb Williams when Oregon State played USC. You know, they they rattled him for sure, but they just couldn't bring him down. Um, so that has been one of the big concerns for sure for Oregon State. And, and also, again, going back to, to the Beavers passing game, it just it hasn't been reliable at all. So, you know, if the Beavers can't run the ball, uh, I, I think they're you're pretty concerned about their ability to sustain drives. Um, we've we've seen them stall on on third downs you know, more times than you would expect from a team that can run the ball like crazy, just because there isn't anything consistent uh, in that mid to long range uh, of the passing game. I think this game is going to be kind of low scoring, if I'm honest. I, I you know, and it, it's funny because if we ever talked about this game a couple weeks ago, I would have said, "No, Oregon should be able to get some points up on the board." I think this is going to be a game that might be one in the low twenties, maybe, which is which is kind of which maybe is fun. That's what the game last week was was played in that kind of range um, for Oregon and Utah. Uh, Carter, what are like three things Oregon State must do? Kind of like three keys, I guess, for, for for a win here. And 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 I guess what. And I guess just to build off my point, do you kind of see a similar maybe outcome of this game might be a little lower scoring than than traditionally you'd think about in a rivalry setting? 
Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll give you one key in, in each phase of the game. So offensively, Oregon State is going to have to pass the ball with, with some sort of consistency because I don't think the Beavers are going to be able to run the ball like crazy on Oregon. You know, the Ducks have one of the best run defenses in the conference, if not the country. Um, so even with Damian Martinez and and a, a, a whole slew of, of running backs who can move it, um, I just don't think it's going to be there against Oregon as much as, as it has against opponents in the past. Um, so if, if Ben Goldbranson can't get the passing game going, Oregon State, I, I don't think, stands much of a chance of, of moving the ball. Defensively, the Beavers are going to have to stop the run. You know, the, the numbers, like I said, have, have been there for the Oregon State run defense, but on a per carry basis, um, it's still not incredibly dominant. Uh, you can go back to the ASU game when X Valade ran for seven or eight yards per carry. You know, if 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 Bucky Irving and Noah Whittingham or, or Whittington are are doing that against Oregon State, the Ducks are going to score a lot of points. Um, and then on special teams, I, I think special teams are going to play a role in this game. And Oregon State's kicking game has just frankly not been good. Uh, the Beavers went one for three on field goals at Arizona State. They're three of ten from thirty yards or deeper. And in a game like this, where I expect it to be pretty close, I think this is going to be a one-score game either way. Um, you might need a field goal or two to, to keep you in this or, or to win it. And I don't think Oregon State has much confidence in that right now. You know, the Beavers, if, if you watched the end of that game, you might have said, well, is, is Oregon State trying to run the score up? Why is it kicking a 24-yard field goal up by like 30 points with a minute left? Well, I think it was to get the kicker confidence because Everett Hayes has missed so many field goals this year. Um, that I just I don't know if there's much confidence there. And so Oregon State's going to need to get production from that position in this game that I expect to come down to a field goal or two. Carter, uh, we'll get you out with this one question. I have one more um, unscripted here. But transfers have been key, I think, for this rebuild. You've said it a couple times with, with Jonathan Smith. Just who were the guys this season – if you had to pick maybe one or two have just been season defining for this team for Oregon state. As, as far as you mean transfers that have come in in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I looked to Brandon Kipper on the offensive line uh, at, at right tackle, a guy who came in from Hawaii three or four years ago um, who, who took a little bit of, of time to kind of develop under Oregon state scheme, but Oregon state's offensive line is, is one of the the best well-coached, uh, lines in the country with Jim Holichuk there. And, and he's turned Brandon Kipper into a borderline, you know, first team all conference type potential, you know, like honorable mention, all American borderline kind of guy. And, and somebody who has really been one of those guys who has turned this locker room around. Uh, he's, he's a team captain, you know, anytime we talk to him uh, for media availability, we come away impressed with um just his, his composure. And I think he has been one of the rocks on this team for a long time. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's not a flashy guy. He's not, you know, some wide receiver who's putting up a ton of yards out of the transfer portal. Um, but somebody who's been in the program for a long time and very quietly does an incredible job blocking on the offensive line. It's going to do it for us on this edition of the odds and Audible's podcast. Carter Baines, thank you for coming on the show. We look forward to, crossing paths with you in i don't know if it's press box but some room on a concrete slab uh in a construction zone i'm excited to see reser uh i'm excited to see it in two years when it's completed and and it's full in its glory uh it should be an exciting game 
uh, hopefully we get dealt one of the better classics between this unnamed rivalry game. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hope to see you in Corvallis in about 72 hours.